I'm Matthew McCabe. Welcome to Miracle Voices. Each episode, we will be delving into stories of forgiveness, healing, and transformation that have come about from integrating the principles of the book, A Course in Miracles. If you want to learn more about A Course in Miracles, visit www.acim.org. If you'd like to visit the Miracle Voices site, please go to www.miraclevoices.org. If you feel inspired to make a love offering, please visit us at miraclevoices.org forward slash donate. All donations go to support the work of the Foundation for Inner Peace, the publisher of A Course in Miracles. Now here's your program. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Miracle Voices. This is your co-host, Matthew McCabe, here with my co-host, Tam Morgan. Tam, how are you doing today? I'm Building tiny up. boats? Building tiny <laughs> boats? A tiny boat. I'm building a tiny boat, a one-person tiny boat. But I'm doing okay. I'm a little skeptical about this podcast. I want it on record. Okay. Okay, good. This I is your that... idea, and you're, we didn't have a guest today. And that's a plug. Guests, please start applying again. Yes, yes. You can go to miraclevoices.org and apply to be uh, interviewed and we would it's love such to interview. A harsh word. Yeah, yeah. We just have a conversation. Let's have a conversation about a forgiveness story. To play with us. That's all. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I think that would be a good name for your biography, Tam. I'm a little skeptical. I can't even commit to fully skeptical or not skeptical at all. I'm just <laughs> well, a little that's bit really, really funny, Matt, that you say that because uh I haven't told you the name for my boat. Oh, what is it? It's it's Little, little bit, L I L apostrophe bit, oh, and okay. it's a name that both my mother and grandmother called me growing up, and I love it because the course, you know, its statement is you only need a little. Well, they don't say little bit; they say a little willingness. I say a little bit willingness um, to have a change of perception from fear to love, meaning to have a miracle happen, and angels rush in to help. Yeah. It's called Little Bit. Little Bit. That's great. I always think of a little bit country after someone says Little Bit, but it's a little bit of willingness. Um, I think, yes, it's a little bit of willingness and a little boat. Yeah. So. Well, Tam, the yeah. reason I, I, I thought this would be a good podcast uh, several weeks ago because yeah, I saw people online or in another podcast, I can't remember, talking about like, I wonder what it was like um with Bill and with Helen and with Judy you know what was it like in those early days when they're all kind of like what are we doing here we have this book we don't how, we're publishing it we're asking and it's kind of like they were moving in this direction together and kind of felt like they had some sense of what they were doing was the right direction but they didn't totally they had questions Helen and Bill what were they like what was the whole environment like and I was like wait a minute my co-host happens to know this and you were around. I can't visualize how old you were when this was going on. Like what was when, when Bill and Helen were coming over to your, your Judy's place, your childhood home, how, how old were you? Um, it's a really good question. I think I was 15 and a half, um, 16, 17. Okay. And then okay. I went off to college. Okay. So that's that's plenty of awareness age there age wise there and also growing up in New York City you kind of grow up faster 
So you're Only in some ways. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and so what was kind of your take on like, Hey, who are these people coming in? Oh, wait, you, you probably, Judy was kind of hosting these salons or having kind of people come over that were interested in paranormal psychology and things like that before, before A Course in Miracles, right? Oh, yeah. Like, okay. Oh, so yeah. give us a little backstory on what this was like in your apartment growing up in Manhattan. Um, Okay, there was a, there was an aspect of bohemia to it, even though it was like, you know, <laughs> Upper West Side sophistication in one way. Um, but but my mother was a you know very open, free thinking spirit, and she was a pioneer in the world of parapsychology and um, the paranormal. Meaning, she was deeply interested um, in researching uh, different different areas of consciousness and those would be from psychic experiments and remote viewing and clairvoyance to people who are interested in um, UFOs and aliens to people who are interested in hard science and combining the two and then soft science um, as my brother would call it because he went into the hard science. So he said, my mother got all the soft scientists and, um, so, so she would have people over, and when we say salons, that's that is true. It was they were never called that. She would have, she had a round table that seated twelve people, and she would have people come for discussions um, and very, very lively conversations. She she was a networker, so the moment she would meet someone, she would get an idea of who else they had to meet. And she was extraordinary connector um, of people and of ideas. And so she would hear one person doing one thing and say, oh, my God, you have to meet this person who's doing that. And you should talk about it together. And and lots of things were birthed through my mother's, uh, I would say, uh, social connectivity. And she knew people all over the world. Um, People started coming and a lot of um, celebrities would come because they were interested in something of consciousness research. And it was right at the breaking of, you know, we had um, people like Richard Albert, who was, you know, later Ramdas. Ram Ramdas, yeah. Yes, be be here now. Before, yeah, that was Ramdas. All bef like before the the time that they got known, the people who were involved in the LSD research and the people who were involved in, you know, it, it was anything that was kind of on that brink of um, the, the opening of consciousness. And <clears throat> for me, my mother, you know, I, I always joke, she used me um, for the experiments in parapsychology. She, she said that that's why she got interested in it. Um, she was extremely intuitive herself, but didn't ever like to put herself in that public light of that, it, you know, she was an intuitive. So she always pushed that away and kind of had me be the little guinea pig um, for all sorts of experiments. So so there were lots of scientists coming through and lots of high thinkers. If Alan Watts had been there, he, you know, in New York at that time, he would have been there. Um and so that that's the flavor of it. It was very, I don't know, you know, if anyone's seen the movie Mame, Auntie Mame. Um, but it was just 
an open, interesting, very um, full of full of intellect and humor time. And um, although a lot of people took themselves seriously and people like Uri Geller, who bent spoons, my mother um, funded to come to the country and be researched. And so all sorts of people were also living in our apartment. So it wasn't just <laughs> these salons. It okay. was, um, we had Stanley Krippner, who was really a, a high-end scientist in the and doing consciousness research. And he uh, was actually became very close to Mickey Hart of the Grateful Dead. And so he was a good West Coast bridge. We had a lot of East West Coast and people that would go to somewhere like Esalen would come to our apartment. And, um, you know, so they're, they, they kind of bridged the same people were going kind of just the same places. But like Stanley Krippner, he had a, it was a 13 room apartment. It was a huge apartment in New York City. And um, he had his, we always called his room, the Stanley room, because he would come and stay there, you know, for several days. And we had all sorts of people staying in the apartment. So it, it got to be a place where I'd come home from school and there were several people around. My mother always cooked dinner. She was a fabulous cook and she was a great hostess. And amidst everything, she was always making these gourmet meals. And a lot of times um, the people who were visiting had other things to do. So we did have um, really a regular sit down family dinner every night uh, with my mother and Bob Scutch, her husband at the time, my stepdad and my brother and myself uh, at that time. When Helen and Bill came into the picture, my brother was off to Yale. So he wasn't a big part of, of the Helen and Bill time, but he, he definitely was there through. He, he started to do, um, like, uh, curly and photography and he got interested in all sorts of stuff that people were, were bringing to our home at the time. So, and then there were people from, you know, Stanford Research Institute, Russell Targ and Hal Putoff who would come visit. So lots of people, as they say, from the West Coast would come visit and engage, uh, certainly me, uh, through my mother in different things, like different experiments that were called fun games at the time. So it sounds like the, the Royal Tenenbaums. Do you ever seen that movie? Yes, I have. There's, there's, yeah, a different, just think of the, the paranormal, <laughs> the, par- the paranormal Tenenbaums. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. Sounds fun. That's so, a fun environment. It it was, I mean, literally I would go to school because I always, I was a really good student and a good girl. It was a good girl. And I'd come home and my friends would have cut school to hang out in my apartment because they thought it was so cool. Uh, and it, it, you know, it, it was very lively. And, um, and and interesting, but it wasn't particularly, I didn't come home and think, oh, how great people are in the apartment who I might be interested in talking about. I was like in the throes of teenage years. And, it, you know, I often just went and closed my room and that was that. Hmm. Okay. Did any of these celebrities make a pressure on you? I know you mentioned, I think once before, the guy who played Darth Vader yeah, James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. Jones. Well, yes. he didn't make an impression 
on me per se, because we had a lot of people. We had um, Yoko Ono came. I'm trying to think. I mean, there was such a slew. But what happened to me at that age was I I was in the elevator with James O. Jones, who was coming in to the apartment. Maybe he was leaving. I just know being in the elevator with my friend at the time. And I was in sixth grade and my friend was going nuts. And she was going, do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? And it's like, him. That's him. <laughs> it's a guy. He wasn't Darth Vader yet, by the way. Um, and But I did know him as an actor. And she was so uh, tongue-tied and flabbergasted that, that there he was coming to our apartment or leaving. Um, and I was struck with, I was almost annoyed that a human being who we didn't know wasn't like we were sitting and having a deep conversation with him could strike all of this awe. And I just, something triggered in me. And I thought, I don't want to ever know anyone's name. And at that moment, I put in, I installed a, the moment someone tells me their name, I forget, forget it, which was a really bad thing to have as an adult. Um, but as a child or adolescent, it was nice because it allowed me to meet people for themselves and not for anything that was um, built up around them. And when I look back at that, it's, you know, you can look back at different points in your life and say, oh, that's what that was for. And mm-hmm. I really do feel that that's part of what did, you know, gave me no awe for Helen or Bill and Ken, no matter how my my mother came back and was so excited about them. I was like, yeah, okay. Some, some more people mom are bringing home. Yes. Yeah. And there is kind of a weird thing with celebrity. It's like, uh, I don't know if it's because people are on these like big 50 foot screens or something like, Oh, they're just, they're just normal. We don't have to do any kind of, any kind of song or dance or anything here or treat them differently. But there is kind of that, uh, that does exist. Well, not only does it exist, but it doesn't have anything to do with that big screen because you can have a celebrity that you watch on your little phone <laughs> and yeah. and you still have that response and reaction. And I think, you know, people like to project things on others. And so if people see someone in a role, they think that that's that 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 role is them. Yeah. And, you know, I saw that all the way through with my mother and people you know, around my mother or people around Helen, where people, literally people would come up to me and say, can I touch you? You knew Helen. And can I touch you? You're related to your mother. And, you know, it was, it was more of that that made me go deeper and deeper into that. This is nuts. (laughs) And, you know, I don't, I don't want to see people that way. Yeah. Not that I haven't at times, not that, you know, oh, my God, I get to meet you. Um, you know, Isabel Allende was my favorite writer. And when I got to meet her, I was thrilled, but not in the way that she wasn't human. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You've kind of got that grounding aspect of your personality where, you know, you asked Judy, to, you told her that she was get there was too many people kind of building her up and then she she put the course in the ground and stood on it once at uh yeah no yeah I've, i've told that story many times but really i went to a conference with her where i was teaching something and she was teaching something else and um i was working with blind children and teaching them how to sense color and so i was talking about that 
and she was talking about Course in Miracles. And uh, I went to her talk that particular day at Carleton College, and that's exactly what happened. People were treating the course like it was the Bible, and someone dropped it, and they was like, oh, my God, and they picked it up and kissed it. It was like, what? And, and then my mother got up, and she gave you know, beautiful talk and people were weeping and you say, coming up to me and saying, can I touch you? You're related to her. And, um, and I was so disgusted. And at that point, I think I was 19 and my mother and I went back and we we're sharing a room. And I said, mom, this, you are creating a cult for your girl. This is disgusting. Don't you see what you're doing? And she said, come this afternoon and see, come back to a talk this afternoon. And and I, I said to her, why don't you tell them that you have sex, that you curse, like that you go to the bathroom, you know, and, and that you get so <laughs> tired of people. You can't you, like when you leave, you don't want to see another person and you're sick of them. Like, why don't you tell them the real side of you? And she said, Oh, just come, come this afternoon. And I said, no way. And she said, come this afternoon. I forgot what bribe she must have given me for me to come. And I go and she walks in and the podium was too high for her. And so she takes the, the course was in three volumes back then. And, um, she takes all three. She throws them on the floor. She steps on them instead of moving the mic to her. And, you know, you hear a little gasp here or there. And she said, this is just to show you it is not the books. It is not this person here. I, you know, I am a human being. I go, she said, I, I go to the bathroom. I said it a little bit more graphically than she did. Um, um, you know, I I am with my husband. Uh, you know, I, she was more refined than saying I have sex. You know, I, I have relations with my husband. I um, I leave here and I'm so exhausted. I don't want to see a, a, another face. And uh, a little softer version, but but got the point across. And she said, and it's what's inside here. It's the work we're doing inside here that matters. It's not these forms. It's not the physical. It's not the book itself. And she really, she really did what I had asked. And at the end of it, everyone was weeping and, you know, applauding and still <laughs> People came up to me and said, oh, my God, I can't believe what's it like to be related to a saint like your mother. And and then I got it and I got a lifelong lesson that was huge for me. And it's like no matter what you say, no matter what you do, if you're particularly if you're a public figure or you can be a teacher or whatever it is, um, people are going to project on you what they want to see. And that. People come all like Bill would call them the bliss ninnies who'd come and go, oh, yes, I've been doing the course and I'm so spiritual. And and they were in the clouds. They were there was no grounding to them in the applied principles. It was all like, I'm just love. And you could feel the denial and the anger as they walked, even though they absolutely didn't think they were, you know, emitting that. Although we can also say it was our projections of them, but let's not get into that for the moment. Um, in any case, uh, the bliss ninnies who, who you could hardly have a real conversation with. And I really got to realize that day, people come at their own level. And a lot of people come to the course from suffering. 
um, whether it's from drug addiction, whether it's from having lost a child, whether, you know, the millions of ways that we can suffer or that they've been abused. And they come at their own time in their own way when the course calls them and and strikes a note in them to be interested in it. And therein begins their own spiritual journey. And it is not for me to judge when yeah. they come, how they come, where they get to. And it was a huge, huge learning for me. Well, so, that's very helpful. You and Judy, you know, kind of, you kind of have a balancing effect on each other. Yeah, we very much do. I mean, I was, I mean, it's kind of classically known by anyone who knew us. I was the teenage, you know, bitchy child who who would get my like go crazy like really just want to fight with my mother and i i'd push her right to the edge and just as she turned and she'd be about to yell i go you're not doing the course you're not doing (laughs) (laughs) i was uh, yeah i was uh, a good companion for her at that time and um mother you should be grateful i'm bringing you all these forgiveness opportunities I already forgave those. No, I mean, you're doing that to her. You're, t- you're taking her oh, yeah, right right. frustrations and then like. Right. No, no, no. And she was fabulous with them. She was fabulous with them. Like sometimes she would absolutely stop and start laughing. Oh, and it was yeah. just because I needed a hug or, you know, I was getting my period. It was, it was, you know, whatever it was about at the time, she was um, really, she became adept at, at giving me love instead of blasting me. I mean, there were times I got her, but, um, you know, they, they, they would only bring about tears where we would both soften anyway. So. So as time went on and you got used to this steady flow of interested parties coming in to understand more about paranormal, what's going on. We're at the bow wave of consciousness here in the upper West side of New York city. And, and then, some new people, Helen and Bill, and then later Ken. And were you, did they, did it seem like, okay, here's the next evolution of my mom's work here? Did it seem like a demarcation was happening or did it just seem part of this flow that was constantly going on? All of the above. Okay. Um, it, it's to explain it better. Um, I would say that I knew my mother was restless. And she was uncomfortable. There was something that wasn't fulfilling her, but it didn't come off as that because she was always enthusiastic about whatever she was doing. But she did. I I mean, a more marked point was when she had Muktananda come, who was a a very well-known spiritual guru um, and in the tradition of Siddha Yoga. And she was very excited about it. And I was like, you know, why are you so excited about this? And there was an air of her, because we we touched on it, but we didn't have to use a lot of deep language about it. But it was, she was starting to see that the consciousness research was really fascinating, but something was going on with her heart. And she really needed something more and so here was the spiritual guru coming and she could reach like some enlightenment 
And she, she was so thrilled about it. And it was this uh, friend who was also, I think, had also been interested in psychic research was the bridge. I have to go back to my notes and remember, you know, really exactly from my perception what happened. But um, but anyway, so so this this man who name I just forgot um, wasn't Doug, but let's just call him Doug for the moment. Um, brought was bringing Muktananda, and the instructions were that we had to make every not everything in our home, but we had to make as much as we could orange. And my mother had a flair for color, and my bedroom was purple and pink back in the days where you know this was the sixties, but bedrooms and stuff in Upper New York, Upper West side New York apartments weren't like pink and purple and blues and, you know, but my mother had a penchant for using a lot of color, but not orange. And the only orange we had was in our, we had a a house in Connecticut and everything was orange in that house because my stepfather um, said that that was his favorite color because he was colorblind. And he just said something to appease her and she went nuts and made it all orange. So we were having an orange sweep coming through our apartment because Baba Muktananda was coming and I found it to be a little absurd. Like if this person isn't enlightened, why do we have to have orange all over the place? Like just orange cloths over, over a cushion of a chair that he was going to be sitting on. And um, I think my mother took it to more of an extreme than it was, but she invited a bunch of press over and she rarely did that. And she was really going by instructions and um, that she had been told. And, and Muktananda wanted to, he, he had an ashram in upstate New York. Um, he had come from India and it was a meet and greet. And, and I guess a, a kind of a publicity measure by the people around him to get him more known. So he was coming over. I was going out for the night because it seemed all silly to me. Again, for me to make someone so, you know, higher than anyone else, I was a little skeptical of it. And also interested, but not interested enough to not go out with my friends that night. So Muktananda came over. I was not there. Um, I, I mean, I passed him, but I was not there for the evening. And what ended up happening was uh, the press came, asked questions, and he was actually, he answered one thing very abruptly and said, I'm done. and didn't really answer anything else. And um, except for like a couple of people and he left and it was an egoically humiliating night for my mother. Mm-hmm. And she was sobbing and sobbing. And um, she really went through that night, I think, a particular spiritual crisis where it was like, I I can't do this anymore. And he, you know, I did all of this. And, and even this, this guru doesn't think I'm anything. And she was really, really um, disturbed by that night. And it gave me a little attitude about Muktananda as well, because I saw my mother crying from this deep spiritual being, and supposedly. So, so uh, I guess I don't know the timeline here. I have to look that up as well, and I'm very bad at timelines. But not long after, meaning the next month, um, 
the course came into my mother's life. She met Helen Bill. The, the, as we know, the short version is they handed her the manuscript in their office at Columbia Presbyterian with the shades closed. And she knew that was the rest of her life. It was like, that's what she had been waiting for. And in the short version of the story, the person who, maybe his name was Don, whatever, the person who had brought Muktananda to her home, who, who was very apologetic and said, I can get you a private meeting with him. Like, I don't, he's never done this before. And she was, was like, no, thank you at that point. Um, said to, it, it was a, a couple of months after that, after my mother started to get really deeply involved in the course, that Muktananda said to this man, oh, I see Judy found her course. <laughs> and it was like, had he given her a drop of his tradition, she would have gone with that. And it it all fell into, okay, that's what's going on. And and I was intrigued by this because the person didn't, you know, who was the mutual connection, he wasn't, he didn't make up stories. You know, he was, he was definitely upset about the behavior. He, you know, it wasn't like he was making that up. It was that. And I will say that years later, several years later, I was traveling through India and ended up, um, Muktananda had passed or transitioned or whatever we call it. And he had left his lineage to, um, to, to people at the time. And I was there working on something and someone, somehow we got to talking, someone who was at the ashram. And when Somehow it came out that Judy Scutch was my mother. And they said, wait here, wait here. And they ran and they came back and gave me this beautiful silver cross. And I said, what is this? And they said, Muktananda said at some point that, that Judy's daughter would be here and that you ne- I needed to give this to her for her mother. <laughs> and I brought back this cross to my mother who ended up giving it to me. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a really interesting moment. So that's, I think that that was one of the defining moments for my mother that brought her to this. Okay. I am identifying that I need help. Please help me because I have everything in the world. I have a beautiful life. I have so many interests, so much, so many people, and I still feel empty. And that's, and so when Helen and Ken and Bill came, it was a gradual um, progression. Uh, and yet it was also marked, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, here are more people that my mother are interested in. But the focus shifted quickly to, okay, now we're moving into spirit. And for me, I was thrilled because I was just at that age where all the psychic experiments that were fun times with my playing with my mother and and this world, I was tired of. And there were all sorts of other things that had gone on in my life. Like, you know, I was supposed, I was asked to be, to play the role in the exorcist because it was thought that I, you know, I knew about the occult, which I really didn't. And and th- I was getting too much attention that I didn't want. And I just wanted to be a, in quotes, normal person and not have all this. And I had a dynamic at my father's 
my parents were divorced, where my father was a very, very straight-laced New York City lawyer who I joke, you know, wouldn't believe in anything he couldn't sue. And so I had a different persona at my dad's where we we hardly ever talked about anything that went on at my mom's because my father thought it was so absurd and ridiculous. So I was wanting to be straight-laced. And when the shift moved to to Helen and Ken and Bill and the course, I was like, oh, thank God, because I was feeling the same thing inside. You know, as I said, I was looking at people like, what are these egos about? Isn't there something beyond the ego here that I want that I wanted to connect with, as well as wanting to be a normal kid? And so when they came in, it, it was like, oh, mom's doing her thing. And thank God she's not involving me in the same way, except by being with them for dinner and getting to know them and, and, and listen to what they have to say. Uh, it was, Oh, I have mom off my back for, for now. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I mean, I was still me, like I'd show up and they were all, you know, in the room talking and it was you know nighttime. And I tell my mother I'm going out and she said, no, you can't, you know, what are you talking about? You can't go out this late. And I'd say, Oh, I'm just going to put white light around me, mom. And, you know, it's like, you believe it or you don't, mom, here you are in front of these people, we're talking about all about love. And, you know, she would literally whisper in my ear, bitch, and I just smile, see you later. And (laughs) so, so that's, so watching what went on, it was gradual, but it was still full of people. Like, because it wasn't just Helen Ken, and Bill, she was, of course, introducing them to everyone she could introduce them to. And so it, it it was just a shift of the focus of the people who were coming. And a lot of them were the same people who actually were interested in um, spiritual evolution. So that's why I say it was a change, but it was a deeper shift. It wasn't an external change because there were still a lot of people coming through. Hmm. Wow. So interesting. This backstory here, this kind of reminds me of like VH1 behind the music. Remember when they used to do these like mini (laughs) (laughs) things where they talk about like what was going on while this music was being played in the sixties or seventies or eighties. And it's just interesting to hear the backstory. So now Helen and Bill are in Judy's apartment and you're saying, okay, this is a more satisfying this chapter than the last one. There seems to be more, there's something here that's more and I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't gorgeous. say it. I did not feel it was more satisfying. I felt like it was a difference in focus that I, I was liking. But the time before was satisfying, too. It was fun. It was crazy. It was it was interesting. Mm-hmm. And this was a different form of it. OK. So it wasn't like one was less for my mother and where she got in her spiritual evolution. Uh, or a spiritual crisis, I should say, it was definitely more satisfying. For me, it was more satisfying because my mother was was not focused on me at a time where I wanted to, you know, run a little free. Um, so, but it was, um, yeah, it, and we were both paralleling to being uh, really interested in love. But it wasn't like we put down the other and, oh, that wasn't satisfying. And now we're doing this, the satisfying. It, it was much more gradual. It was like, it was like a sigh, you know, oh, ah, that was one phase. And this is a different. And 
And that was very brief because again, my mother, as soon as she actually published the course that she went traveling all around the world and, you know, in one year traveled a hundred thousand miles to talk about it. So that was exciting for me because I got left with my stepfather who really didn't pay a lot of attention to rules. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's like a summer break, summer vacation where you just know. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It, it really was. You know, I would call him when I, I was so responsible and I'd call him, you know, I was at a party and I call and I say, oh, it's midnight, but I'm not going to be home for another hour. He says, why are you calling me? <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, because I'm supposed to. <laughs> so, yeah. But so, you were. Yeah. And so, when, you, so Helen's coming in, Bill's coming in, they're interacting with Judy, you're kind of hearing some of it, seeing some of it. What was the, what was the relationship like there between um, Bill and Helen? Because I remember, I think it was um, Carol Howe's book. Never forget to laugh, which is like a biography of Bill Thetford, which is excellent, yeah. by the way. If yes, anybody's yes. interested in that, there's a quote in there from you, and I'm just paraphrasing because I don't totally remember it. Is that you know Helen, when she was upset, would come out like a like a genie out of a genie's lamp and have a totally different. You'd you'd feel her presence much differently. So there's all these little nuances that you picked up on, or not even little nuances, but things that you picked on being around there that we don't know about. What was it like, uh, you know, when they were over, what was the, the, the mood, what was going on and how did you feel about how they were all interacting? Um, again, I was grateful for their bubble cause it gave me freedom. So I, I wasn't, um, it, it didn't, none of it bothered me, but I was, I was amused by a lot of it. And, um, and I was, you know, an intuitive child. So I, saw things from a perspective where I really, um, the thing that was probably most heightened for me was understanding energetics and dynamics. Um, some of them psychological dynamics, which I think Helen enjoyed about me. Uh, she was fantastic with children, you know, Hmm. and that was part of her career. A big, I mean, that was her career was, was working with children as well. So, um, she really was great, but she, showed herself as a, by the time that I knew her, she was a very small woman. I was tiny myself. And she was, um, she had this fantastic little quirky grin when she liked something, but she, she showed herself as extremely proper. You could imagine her wearing white gloves, which sometimes she did wear gloves, but, you know, she'd sit properly and she'd speak eloquently. And she definitely had a, a New York twang to her voice. Um, but she was extremely intellectual. And when she would talk to me, she would completely soften up. And she called me Kit Kat. My mother was Kitten and I was Kit Kat. And she would not talk down to me in any way, shape or form but she was extremely sweet to me. Mm. And then I would see her in, you know, in dynamics with Bill, where she would often just jab, 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 like a little, little sharp knife coming out of her side, um, you know, in a horror movie. And, (laughs) but she could either say it with a smile and it be a jokey kind of thing 
or she'd get very, um, maybe the word is sanctimonious in a certain way, where she would, oh, Bill, you know, oh, Bill, if he would give a pun. Um, but I could feel the tremendous love for him. But she she had what I felt, and because I had talked to my mother about it. Um, I talked to her about most most things I talked about what my mother was my perceptions of stuff that she was always interested in um because they, they were sometimes a little out of the ordinary <laughs> and um and I would say you know why is Helen so angry with Bill like I can see she loves him but boy she seems so passive aggressive and my mother would be honest with me and talk to me about it. So, so what I was picking up was then validated by my mother's perception. Uh, but I never went to Helen directly and saying, why are you, you know, being so unkind to Bill? I, I, I did not confront Helen in that way. And mm. mostly because, as I say, she was very held together. Like she would put her hands in her lap and hold her own hands. And, um, and she she was being treated like the queen in our apartment when my mother was always the queen before that. <laughs> and my mother was completely tr- so um, solicitous of her, as was Ken, as was Bill. And then, you know, she would leave and my mother would be exhausted from having been that devotional <laughs> all day to her. And Usually the person who'd stay for dinner was not Ken. Ken Ken would leave with Helen, but was Bill and he'd stay around for dinner. And then they both, you know, have light, funny banter about what happened during the day. And it was more like that's when they let down their hair. It was it was easier and lighter because Helen wasn't there. And there were so many dynamics and Helen. And then there was Ken there who when I talk about servitude, that man absolutely was devoted to Helen. I mean, if she would have a twitch, he would decide what it was about or know what it was about and bring her a blanket or scratch it or, you know, whatever, (laughs) whatever was going on. He knew if she was thirsty, he knew. And my mother was similar in, in the way that she was intuitive about some, someone needing something. And so both Ken and my mother were much more um, in service. And Bill, it wasn't that Bill wasn't in his way. He, in his way, he was. But um, it was just a di- different dynamic than, can I get you something, Helen? Um, and so watching that was really intriguing. And it, I watched its own, it's almost like it's, it had had a separate family dynamic. And, uh, you know, I think, People talk about doing family constellation work. And these four people, um, my stepfather, Bob, was not involved in in their daily talks about the course and hardly at all. He, he ended up coming into the business end of it um, as, as the foundation for inner peace became the foundation for inner peace. Uh, but, but the dynamics became a constellation of a family within itself where it was, you know, Helen was the mother and Bill was more interesting because with my mother, she was like a brother 
Like they, they were like equal, like they were almost like twins. And then Ken was the youngest, younger brother of my mother. And, and Helen would call him that would say, you know, one of her last messages to my mother was take care of your little brother, Kenneth. And so these dynamics got set up and they each took on these familial sort of roles with each other. Uh, even though it, as, as they say, Bill, Bill was more of a brother to my mother, but with the dynamics between, um, Helen and Bill, there, they were more like lovers that weren't lovers. Um, Bill, less so. Bill, as we know, was the, you know, he was gay. And um, although people have say that his temperament was more bi because he was drawn to women very much and, and relationships with women, but I think his sexual proclivity was definitely towards men. And so, there was um it so it wasn't a completed mother father son daughter thing but there were a lot of mixed roles there within that that i would get to watch and and i found it incredibly amusing when i was with them i didn't seek out to be with them so i was with them a lot because they were in my apartment certainly almost every weekday for a couple of years um and they were a part of my life. And I absorbed so many of their conversations um, and was part of it. But it, I would say a lot part of it, like I was doing my homework while they were all talking and was even in the room with them. Um, so there was, I would look up and ask a question, uh, but it wasn't my focus to be around them. It's just, they were there. And suddenly there was a whole new family in my apartment. Okay. And so how often were they getting together, Kit Kat? <laughs> um, it's really funny that you're calling me that. Um, the uh, It's hard for me to say. I mean, my mother would go back and say every day of the week for the weekdays, you know, for certainly for a year and a half when they were doing the lessons and before it was, of course, was being published. And then as it was being published, they, they were doing a lot, but you know, there were also times remember that my, I said, my mother was traveling. Um, and there were also times that uh, they had other things that they were doing here and there. So when they were all around, it was every day. But I don't think that meant it was every day of the week for, you know, straight without breaks. Okay. And they were doing lessons together, you said? They were doing the lessons together. They were studying the course together. And, um, yeah, it, it was always one of the funny things that people have said um, many, many times of people who were, were students of Ken's was like, well, you know, Ken is my teacher and he studied with Helen, so he should know. And my mother said, so did I. <laughs> I mean, they were there together. They were there together doing it. Uh, my mother never called herself a, a course teacher. You know, the, Ken, Ken became that. But it was always very funny. She said, we had the same teacher, Ken and I. <laughs> and, and it's true. You know, it's true. So there were certain things that 
my mother agreed with with Ken most um and and some that she didn't but she was you know she was very deferential i guess one of the things that's amazing to me is that this incredible this incredible work comes through helen and then you know that quote that's somewhat famous for now she says i know this is true but i don't believe it like she mm-hmm. had tremendous resistance still did you ever get a sense of any kind of context around her resistance with the course? Yes. Yes. Continuously. Um, She felt safe discussing and talking about it in this small group that they were as, I mean, there is so many people have heard it before, but when they heard to publish the course, Helen's response was yes, a copy we need to copy publish a copy for Bill, Helen, Ken, and my mother. That was the extent of it for her. (laughs) The idea that it would go out to other people was very, very disconcerting, to say the least, for her, because she worked very hard to be a well-respected clinical psychologist. And, you know, you also have to take into account the time of her life. And she lived when women were not so well respected in in certain fields that were very dominated by men. And the work had to go on, not just in a professional level, but in every level to be taken seriously as a woman. So throw in something that's called extreme (laughs) Um, woo-woo. I've channeled something. Are you kidding me? That's where she was completely threatened. And I and I think she and I had a very innate, um, unspoken connection in that, which is why I felt very comfortable with her. Um, because again, I was being researched for psychic stuff, and I the the biggest word I ever hated was psychic because it brought, especially at that time in New York. Um, notions of Brian De Palma movies of Carrie and other movies where people could give, a, you know, psychically cerebral brain hemorrhages by thinking of them. And they caused fear and like the exorcist and things like that. So, so I didn't want to be known for that. And I completely understood. And I, and I wouldn't even go to my father's and talk about it. So I completely understood Helen's or thought I did. Um, and more than ambivalence, but dual personality. And even understood the, I believe it completely, but I don't believe it at all. Mm. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's too hard for me to accept this publicly. In Mm. my heart, I know what's true, but in my public persona, I don't want to be seen as this person who channeled, who, has worked so hard to establish a respected, um, scientifically respected career at Columbia Presbyterian. So it's like, it's, and she's in, in the closet in some ways, kind of in terms of the channeling, like I'm a, it kind of feels like that the way you're describing it. Yes. Uh, very it, it, it describing it. They used to close the shades when she would bring in and she would hand the notes to Bill and he would then type them up. I mean, 
it, it was very closeted. And when you think about it and you bring it up that way, um, I don't, you know, it would be fun for someone at some point to do a book that both Helen and Bill were closeted people. Yeah. You know, they both had a lot that they didn't want to show the public. Yeah. And so they did this in secret for all those years. <laughs> but I will also say, and this is something um, from only, I speak from my own perspective and my own drawing conclusions. I really felt just in the way that I'm ending up being, you know, my, the joke on me, president of the foundation for inner peace, something I never anticipated. Um, I felt that spirit used personas and the ego personality in order to come to have this material come through. And so Helen was in love with Bill, who was not was drawn to her as as a a woman he was as I say he was drawn to relationships with women, but he was not in love with her. And she even said to my mother that she would have left her husband for Bill. She was in love with him. It was an untenable relationship they had some deep we'll call it in today's language karmic connection together where he couldn't fire her um they fought all the time and there was passion in the fighting the fighting at least was given giving helen a connection with him or a fire let's say with him he couldn't handle the fighting anymore he said we can't keep doing this it was almost threatening to her that he said we can't keep doing this because what other passion was she going to bring to the relationship she said, okay, I'll help. You know, he said, there has to be a better way. She said, okay, I'll help you find it if there is. And, you know, not too long thereafter, it's here's, of course, in miracles. Please take notes. This is, of course, in miracles. I mean, a few words before that, too, as we've, we've found out. But, but then she enters a private secret relationship with him. She did not call wake up Louie, her husband, who she also called Jonathan, um, and said, hey, I just received this message. She called Bill, her colleague, her boss, and said, am I going crazy? I want you, you know, what am I doing here? He said, bring me the notes, let me look, and I'll tell you tomorrow. Um, and <laughs> she, she did, and they entered a whole other kind of relationship where she got to have a secret with him. Louis didn't even know about it, you know, and she had this secret life with him for these times where they were, you know, asking, dictating, bill typing, where it was a special relationship in a yes. way was deeply um, committed and intense and um, their, their thing together. So it was like spirit gave this, to Helen so that she would do the work because she got to be having to do something with Bill that was their child that they were giving birth to. Wow. And I think it was just beautiful that Spirit did that. And then once it got published and it started to move out and and things became less needing to be that intricate for Helen and my mother moved out to California and she certainly blamed uh, Helen certainly blamed my mother for having Bill come to California, who was who was withering under 
the Helen rule in some in some ways. Um, everything kind of started to break free of that dynamic, and Helen checked out, saying, "I'm I'm leaving." You know, said directly to my mother, "Don't you know why I'm going? I'm going to get out of its way." And her function was done. She wasn't choosing to use the course to learn about how to change her perception. She had done her role perfectly. And then it was Bill's time to actually do the practice until he really felt he got it. And on the day that he felt he got it and he was dancing around my mother's living room saying, I'm free. I've forgiven everyone. I'm free. He went out for a little walk and Dropped dead of a heart attack. Yeah, on July fourth, Independence Day. Yeah, Independence. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, as as a writer and a narrator, it's a, a remarkable story of of my mother finding her way. We haven't really talked deep about Ken, um, but but each person in there for the exact reason that they need it. That spirit then used their personalities. Spirit used my mother's ability to network, to go out and speak about the course. And when they had asked, they were told that a woman, Helen and Bill, were told when they said, what should we do with this? And they were told a woman would come and know what to do. And then they met my mother and they asked, why her? And they were told, because she is ready for her next step. So. You know, there's so many pieces of it where we get to see spirit using the personalities, the human personalities to be able to come through um, in this way that produced something so extraordinary about relationships. I mean, the course itself says you go into the arc of peace two by two. Two by two. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's interesting that their relationship that you added a new dimension there for me between uh Helen and Bill. And and what was the catalyst? Was there a catalyst to move out to California? Like was there a series of circumstances where it was like, hey, now it seems like the right time, or was it really nonspecific? Oh no. It you know, my as my mother would tell it, and I think Bob Scotch, her husband at the time, would tell it a little differently, but but the scene that was set was my mother, a very beautiful woman. They were in the 70s. Their relationship was um, was quietly open, meaning my mother was having relationships. And so was Bob Scotch with other people here and there, especially during her travels and not when she was home. But she got involved um, with Jerry Jampolsky and who at the time didn't want anyone to know because she was a married woman, but she'd come out for the summers um, when I was 16 and 17 and 18 to be with Jerry. And she got the course when she was involved in this very challenging talk about special relationships. It was one of my mother's most difficult relationships with Jerry. Um, And she spent the summer with Jerry and I come out and spend the summer with Jerry. And then we'd go, back and be with Bob. And so she had a deep love. She always had a deep love for Tiburon. And she, she talks about when she was um, 16 years old and she was on a, what was called a teen tour. And <clears throat> she was on a bus with other teens and they went across country. Um, that was an organized kind of camp trip, but 
but traveling. And she got to San Francisco, excuse me. And she came to Marin and she knew she'd be back. She could just feel that this was a home of hers. So here she was involved with Jerry and Tiburon. She got the course. She was speaking about it in Tiburon and, and Marin and San Francisco. And then um, New York was going bankrupt at that time. And Bob Scutch decided that he wanted to sell the apartment. And my mother was kind of open to it, but she really wasn't ready. And a buyer came right away. And it was it was a, a second huge shock in my mother's life. I mean, like a, a almost a spiritual upheaval for her because suddenly the apartment was sold. She would, they moved into a one, one bedroom, tiny little place um, in Central Park South. And my mother was miserable. So she ended up getting a place in Washington, DC because she was doing a lot of work there at the time, I believe in any case, with uh, Bob and she just decided, okay, we have to move to California. I can't stand being out of what her element was in this, you know, very large apartment and socializing and everything to coming back because she had been traveling a lot. Um, but to now coming back and not having what she felt was her home base. So she moved Bob out. She was like, okay, no, we have to go to California. And Bob was, Bob was fine. He had let go of the apartment. He, you know, he was a, absolutely okay with anything in that time. And so my mother moved him out to a place that was four houses away from Jerry. And so they all started having course meetings and and doing course together with Francis and Roger, Francis um, Walsh, I mean, Francis Vaughn and Roger Walsh. And they had their own little course group that then Bill, that's when she said, Bill, come out here. This is great. And Bill had visited and really loved it. And then she moved Bill out four houses on the other side or five from Jerry, or at least, you know, maybe not exactly four or five, but very close within short walking distance. And that's how it evolved. Mm. That's good. That's good. I always can count on you for that extra context there. That's beautiful. Yeah. And also, yeah. I mean, that information about how it all everything moved to California, but also about the complementary ego dynamics between Bill and Helen, because that's I think that's what Helen is that what Helen got was that's why they came together to that's why they were picked to kind of go together because those complementary ego dynamics. And uh, it kind of sounds like that's when it turned into a holy relationship from a special relationship, maybe, but it still felt like special to yeah. Helen. Yeah. And Helen had Bill call her every single day at the same time. And my mother call her every single day at a different same time. And, you know, she, she really was not happy with my mother for having had uh, Lord Bill out but Bill was at that point, um, as I remember it, really, my mother left. And my mother was Bill's boy, buoy in a very um, difficult dynamic because Helen at that point was really beautifully using Ken to, to get back at Bill and uh, in all sorts of ways. And so that's when my mother and Bill came became very close in the buffering of all of it. Now, all of it was was 
still lighthearted. And you you asked me about Helen when she'd change, when she'd get angry. And she was like a a, a bad genie, you know, out of bot like she but I would say she was more like a cat, like who could just scratch in a second and then go back to be to purring. And that's <laughs> it was very like some incredible hints, scratch, and then total purr. Yeah. Uh, tranquility. Know. What's your problem? Everything's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and um and it would leave some scratch marks. And so the more she was angry with Bill for not being with her in a certain way. Um, and I should say, and I really need to say this, that Bill built a home. He, I mean, he had a home in Fire Island, which was the gay Mecca of the time and back on the East Coast. And in this home, he had a separate room built for Helen and her husband, Louis. Oh. So like in his home. So they spent a lot of time together, all of them. And um, even before my mother joined the scene, but um, but at that time, after the course, you know, came out after they came out of the closet in a certain way, um, Bill was indeed um, kind of uh, suffering from from just being with <laughs> in the dynamics of just being with uh, Helen and around Helen in that way plus a lot of other things nothing is one thing and so he did sort of escape to california in a sort mm. certain way and and for a, a real breath of air and with the the constant checking in with helen and everyone was checking in with helen and and it wasn't so long after that 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 helen literally left yeah well Tam, this has been so much fun, so so much color and texture and additional dimensions that I was not aware of. So I'm really glad that we did this. And we haven't this, gotten to forgiveness. We haven't. Oh yeah, you have a forgiveness story. Maybe we could save that for next week. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't have a forgiveness story. I, I thought I'm, you said you had one today. We, we, well, we no, I always have one here or there. Okay. <laughs> but, okay. but no, no. I mean, these are our forgiveness podcasts, and this is just yeah. an informative you know, one person's perspective of historical account, but it, yeah, but one person that was really, that was there and can remember it and it's still alive. So this is very helpful for me. And, you know, I was thinking, we're talking about all the ego dynamics here and how everybody was different and the complimentary, complimentary nature and everything. But the one thread that holds it all together is they're all so devoted to oh. making, making sure this was done right. They're knowing their parts and it just, it it's just like, it seemed like a beautiful it, looking backwards. It seems like a beautiful choreography was had taken place, even though it, I'm yes. sure at the time it didn't. Yes. Oh no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and looking back on it was just extraordinary, including how, you know, the next stepfather came through. So, um, wit, wit. Yes. yes. Wit. And I have a funny story that my mother would roll over, but she can roll right now. Um, she called me at college and she had moved Bob sketch out, you know, and, and they were all in their row and doing the lessons. And she, but she was trapped. She was starting to do some work in Washington, DC. As I said, I think she got the apartment then. Uh, and not before she left, she was, it was kind of all, I, I have to look at the timeline of exactly when the apartment came, but she was doing work in DC. And, um, 
And even that's a whole other story where Al Gore came to one of their course meetings in DC before, before, way before, you know, president's vice presidency. Um, But in any case, uh, she called me one day and she, I said, what's wrong? And she said, honestly, when I was in New York and Bob was playing tennis, I'd call Jerry. And when I was in California and Jerry was playing tennis, I'd call Bob. And now the two of them are playing tennis together. <laughs> and I'm calling you. And I, and it, it wasn't even that long after that, that she met with and moved him to California. And she was quite a character and she managed to do it all so beautifully with love. I mean, there was definitely, I never want to say that there wasn't heartbreak and challenges, but their work was their work. And love kept coming through that all these very challenging dynamics could could produce all these people who still loved each other and worked together. Yeah. Total the beautiful devotional choreography and that's that's my key takeaway there is like wow we're looking at it from a higher level with the with the benefit of the kind of past looking in the rearview mirror it's like wow that was just incredible despite all these other other things going on in the background this all managed to come through and you know millions of copies are around the world and people are listening just talk about it right now yeah yeah it's quite quite the journey well tam Thanks so much for your miracle voice today and look forward to chatting with you next week. Me too. I look forward to us chatting with someone else next week. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you, Matt. Thanks so much for listening today. Please subscribe to Miracle Voices by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast app. If you are enjoying these conversations, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you use. And lastly, please visit us at miraclevoices.org and join our newsletter so we can stay connected. Until the next podcast, I want to leave you with my favorite course quote, when you want only love, you will see nothing else. Mm